Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. I want to get right to it, so turn to Matthew 7, the Gospel of Matthew, easy enough to find, first book in the New Testament. Matthew 7, and we're in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but that's really not our concern. Today we're talking about questions, questions that Jesus asks and you should answer. And um, it probably has not escaped anybody's notice here that once again we have hit the silly season in politics. We're in the silly season again. And the exaggerations are flowing fast and furious. They're talking about exaggerated accomplishments and exaggerated records, and they're exaggerating the crimes of their opposition. But let me just stop, and it doesn't have anything to do with our topic today or Jesus' question to us, but let me just stop and remind you again so that nobody here panics during this election season. One of the reasons, maybe the reason, that people invest so heavily in politics is because it's the biggest thing they know. But let me remind you, it's not the biggest thing there is. There are things a whole lot bigger than what happens in Washington or what happens in elections. It's not the biggest thing there is. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against what we're involved in and that we get out of this thing alive, you and I. And I know there are a lot of pastors that are speaking out and they're taking sides and they're offering all kind of advice about candidates today and they're wringing their hands in worry. About all you're going to get out of me this election season is what I just told you. And just reminding you, it's not the biggest thing there is. It's the biggest thing some people know, but it's not the biggest thing there is. So, be interested in what they're saying to a degree, but don't overinvest in the exaggerations. Now, back to the exaggeration thing. Some people are surprised to see Jesus exaggerate. And he does from time to time. I think he used to do it partly maybe for comic effect. He would exaggerate things. And we're going to look at an exaggerated example that he gives in Matthew 7. So let's get right to it. Top of the chapter, verse number 1, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 7. He says, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. Now, we'll talk in a moment about what he's not talking about. He's not inviting us to be naive. He's not inviting us to close our eyes or put on blinders. He's not inviting us to see reality as it isn't when he says, don't judge. But he goes on to say, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why? Do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Here is the exaggerated example I mentioned. His question, why do you look at the speck in somebody else's eye, but do not notice the log, the plank, the beam? It's a word that was used in construction. Why do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, you two-face, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
If we were Episcopalians, we would say, thus endeth the lesson. He's made a point there. What is it he's talking about? Well, he's talking about specks, right? Now, what do we know about specks? Well, we know that specks can happen to anybody. The Pharisee did not make room for that reality. Specks in the eye? How many have had a speck in your eye? It can happen to anybody, right? It can happen to anybody. Now, we also know about specks something else. They are specks. They're tiny. If you can see them at all, you barely see them. Now, what are we not talking about? When he says, don't look at specks, don't judge, what are we not talking about? Well, same chapter, drop down to verse 15. It's not our topic today, but he is not inviting us to be stupid. He's not inviting us to close our eyes to reality. Verse 15, he's still talking along the same lines, and he picks up his story and he says it this way. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good, bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Pretty drastic. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Well, Jesus is there talking about frauds and fakers whose appearances may be very attractive and they may have a certain lure. And he's saying, make sure you are careful to judge them. That's bad fruit. And that is a very serious form of the cancer on the body of Christ. Fakers and frauds and false teaching. That's a very serious form of cancer on the body of Christ. But when he's talking about specks, we're talking about inconsequential things in other people's lives. We're we're talking about looking past a mountain of good in a life to find the one thing that might be a flaw at best, but is probably just a preference that you don't care for and somebody else does. What do we know about specks? They are specks. We're talking little things. What else do we know about specks? Jesus brought it up. Specks should probably be ignored. Specks in somebody else's life. Those things that bother us, that really aren't that important, that we can get all worked up about but ought not, they probably should be ignored. Again, anyone, anyone can easily have a speck. It happens to us all. It's not like that thing in that that guy's life, that, that thing that bugs me, it's because it's bad. No, it's because I have an opinion that I don't like it. That's all it means. Those specks in people's lives, those are not the things that make them bad. It's just something I don't like in that guy's life. And what does that mean? It just means, again, 
I just have an opinion about it. It says nothing about him, and it says a lot about me to point out a speck in somebody else's life. When compared to what could be wrong in his life, what could be there, the ugliness that could be present, that may be present in an eye that's a whole lot closer to me than his eye, it's a speck. Specks are specks. Now, that we understand specks, what about these speck inspectors? Pick up on another one of Jesus' exaggerated examples to see who exactly he's talking about here. He approached a group of people one day and he cautions them to avoid swallowing dirt and bugs. Anybody here ever swallow a bug by accident? If you have swallowed a bug on purpose, I really don't want to be your friend. But if you, if you swallowed a bug by accident, and Jesus is cautioning people not to swallow dirt and bugs. In those days, if you didn't want to swallow dirt and bugs, because you didn't know where the water came from, you might use a cloth over the cup or a sieve of some kind and strain out the bugs and the dirt. And on one occasion, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says to them, you strain out a gnat. Because who wants to swallow a bug? But you swallow a camel. Now that probably would have gotten big laughs in first century Palestine. Because of the ridiculousness of it. You strain out a little tiny bug? but you swallow a whole camel? He's talking about the Pharisee. Those are the speck inspectors. They are a religious party of people that, interesting enough, dabbled in politics. And the Pharisee was an expert in the art of missing the point. So now that we understand specks, and a little bit about the people that are interested in finding specks, let's split up Jesus' two-part question here. He says first, why do you notice the speck in somebody's eye? Well, the best I can tell, it probably is because I must have been looking for it. That's how I notice specks in people's eye. I have noticed this, that specks are not noticeable across the room. You have to get very close to see a speck, right? You have to invade somebody's personal space in order to see it. Think, think of the white glove treatment. You have to go looking to find specks in people's lives. And that describes perfectly the Pharisee. They were speck inspectors. You have to go looking for it. Now, it's a good question. Jesus' question is a good one to ask. Why why do you find specks in somebody's eye? Because the speck-finding Pharisee was not even qualified. Why do you, of all people, go looking to find specks in somebody's eye? They're not qualified for the job. They're disqualified. Why? Because they've got a plank in their own eye. Now, I've got a pair of tweezers here that were sterile, but now I dropped them. 
If I were going to look for specks in somebody's eye, I would use tweezers because my fingers are too clumsy. And so I've got my tweezers here to go finding and removing specks. Now, let me put a chair over here so that somebody can come and have a seat and let me probe around on the delicate surface of your eyeball for specks with this tweezers. And before you volunteer, you need to know that I'm going to be holding this board in front of my face while I'm poking around trying to find specks on your sensitive eye. That's what Jesus is talking about. And when you think of it that way, you see the ridiculousness of what he's saying here. Probing on the surface of somebody's eye for specks when your own vision is badly impaired, that disqualifies you and it disqualifies me from searching out the imperfections in somebody else's eye. I can't see past my own much larger imperfections. In fact, the ridiculousness of it is what Jesus is holding up for us here to see. I'm not qualified in the first place. See what he's saying? He's telling us that blindness, our own blindness to our own glaring problems on the inside, my own prejudices, my own lies, my own lust, my own improper use of time and talent and greed and, and jealousies, if unchecked, if not brought before Christ and brought under His blood, those things will always lead to a merciless criticism and fault-finding of other people. Always. And it shows up, usually in its ugliest form, in the house of God. It happened that way in the Bible. It was a time of prayer. And a Pharisee, a speck inspector, had gone up to the temple to pray. And he had gone at the same time as a sinner, a rank sinner, who knows what his sin was. Maybe the Pharisee knew what his sin was, but the sinner goes up at the same time. And they're standing some distance apart from one another. And maybe they're facing the wall. That was a familiar way to pray in those days. And the Pharisee is praying out loud, most people did, and he's saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like this sinner, for instance. And he extols and lists for God's benefit all the good points in his life. And by contrast, all the bad points in the other guy's life. At the same time, there is the sinner, maybe with his head resting against the wall, and he's beating his breast, the Bible says, and he's crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, Who, whose prayer do you think God heard? Whose prayer? You see, if I'm not conscious of my own prejudices and my own problems and my own sins and my own jealousies, if I don't bring those things before Christ, then they're always going to lead me again to a merciless criticism and fault-finding in other people. And it can show up in our lives. Here's a fact. Write it down as a fact. The things I criticize most loudly in other people may be my own secret sins, in fact. Nathaniel Hawthorne, author of The Scarlet Letter, wrote another story similar to it, but with a little more punch to it called The Minister's Black Veil. About a, 
pastor in a town that was full of sin and he was grieved by the sin that he had to look upon to the point that he constructed a veil that he could wear all the time and it would spare him from having to see the ugliness out there. We know from the narrator of the story who gives us the, the backstory behind that veil, things going on were worse than the things that were happening out there. And that's the way it is. Very often the fault we find in other people is something that's inside of ourselves, but it's secret. It's secret. It hasn't been found out yet. We've seen that played out not just in Nathaniel Hawthorne's stories, but in recent times, the priests and the prominent preachers who decry and call down judgment on people that are involved in all kinds of sins. And very often those happen to be sexual sins. And all the while it comes out that what they've been involved in was worse by degree. Corporations dismiss an office worker for taking a package of paper. All the while... They're cheating and cutting corners and inflating prices and dodging taxes and manipulating everybody around them to the advantage of a greedy few at the top. They just haven't been caught yet. And that's the way it is. The things that I see at fault in other people very often are things that are happening in my life or that I haven't done, but given the right circumstance in just the right setting. That's the very thing that I would do. And I would do in a more depraved and hurtful way than I criticize in other people. I look for problems in you, you see, to avoid seeing greater ugliness in me. Let me suggest something to you. I've thought about for a long time. It's this, that many reformers who rise up telling us how their ways are better, if only we would listen to them, they're only trying to cover their own sin. And their own tendency to sin. But I've noticed this too, that people run from reformers. That, that let me tell you what's wrong with everybody crowd. People run from reformers and you know why? It's because reformers focus on the sins of their neighbors, but saints focus on their own sins. People run from reformers, but they're attracted to genuine saints. I think only a saint, somebody who has truly looked at their own inner wickedness much more clearly than they've looked at other people's, only that saint can truly see what's going on in a broken world that's filled with broken people because they're broken too. Because they know how deep their own brokenness is then somebody else's problems are only a speck in comparison. So why do you notice, Jesus says, the speck in somebody else's eye? And when we do notice the speck and we obsess on it, that tells us more about ourselves than it does about the one we're inspecting. What about his second question? How can you miss the plank, the beam, in your own eye? How can you miss it so thoroughly that you go after the speck in somebody else's eye? Now, to address this question, enough negative with that first question. I prefer to go positive and look at a specific Pharisee. 
Because the speck inspectors, that describes the Pharisee. But let's look at a specific one. I'm thinking of one who was being groomed to be the teacher in Israel. That was a phrase that Jesus used for Nicodemus when Nicodemus came, nighttime interview with Jesus, the great rabbi from Nazareth. Here comes the teacher, Nicodemus, in Israel. He was the go-to man. He was the lead rabbi in Israel, Nicodemus. And I'm thinking of a young man that was being groomed to take that exalted place as the teacher. This young man had been spoon-fed all of the great ideas from the philosophers and the thinkers. He had been set to memorize a chunk of the Hebrew Scriptures and all of the traditions and all of the interpretations and all of the ancient words and discussions about Scripture from the rabbi's time immemorial. He had mastered it all. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had sat at the feet of the star pupil. He he was the star pupil at the feet of the great Rabbi Gamaliel. A rabbi of such brilliance that every time he's mentioned in our New Testament, Gamaliel, he's mentioned in glowing terms and he's prominent in the best of wisdom literature, in the Talmud and all the rest, Gamaliel was the teacher of this golden boy, this Pharisee. His name in Hebrew, Shaul, Saul. We know his Roman name because he was a citizen as well. Paul. We know him as the great apostle Paul. The writer of the New Testament. The apostle, the traveler, the Roman citizen, the world shaker. That's how we know him. He he becomes the great rabbi from Tarsus. And in this great rabbi, Paul, we have an example of somebody who painfully learned how to overlook the specks in other people. And how he made it his life's work to remove the planks and the imperfection in his own life. Let's look at this one Pharisee for a minute. Because Paul becomes for us a surgeon of the soul. A surgeon on his own soul first. And once he allows Christ to take out the monstrous and the putrid darkness that he discovered in his own life, he was able, truly able to help the rest of us, you and me, find a cure to. When I think about the life of Paul, the soul surgeon, causes me to realize that effective soul surgery can only be performed on others by those who, whose own surgery was much more radical. That's Paul. He says about himself, recognizing the planks in his own life, the imperfections that he found there, he says about himself, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In another place, he describes himself. He said, I am the least of the saints, but I am the chief of sinners. He knew all about his own planks, his sins. He knew all about his own massive imperfections better than he knew somebody else's. But before he was taken prisoner by Jesus Christ, the specks that he was seeing in other people's lives caused him to become unhinged. It caused a kind of religious madness to take over and insanity set in. And and he was not able to ignore the specks that he imagined in other people. 
And he had to destroy them because they weren't good enough. There was, there was, there was an insane bloodlust of people who weren't as pure as him. And it drove him to search them out and slaughter the earliest followers of Jesus. That's before he met Christ. See, to him, Jesus was the most polluted and most diseased influence that ever lived because Jesus had died on a cross. And this golden child, this heir apparent, this one to be the great teacher in Israel, he knew his scripture well enough to know the verse that said, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus had died on a tree. And so he was cursed. And anyone who said he wasn't cursed, they were cursed. And they were a cancer and they had to be rooted out. This, 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 this young Pharisee's early life shows us what damage we do to ourselves when we look past our own monstrous sins and then we, we obsess over somebody else's. His life will teach you if you will let it. One day his homicidal hatred that he thought was true faith it led him to the gates of the capital city of Syria that we're hearing about again today Damascus and he was headed into Damascus to chase the innocent to destroy them when he encountered a power greater than his own hate and Christ knocked him to the ground by the force of his presence and told him that the wounds in his life were deep and that they were really self-inflicted. And it was like, Jesus said to him, Paul, it's like you are kicking against the cattle prods. You're kicking against the sharp sticks that in fact I have put all around your life in order to get your attention. And it was there as he lay on the ground in that blind dialogue with Jesus, it was there that his broken soul, wounded and bleeding, he found the Savior there. And the first thing that happened to him was his eyes were affected. His eyes. And the plank fell away. And laying in the dirt, Paul died that day. He died that day. And the specks in other people's lives didn't seem to matter so much anymore. A grocery store cashier wrote to the advice columnist Ann Landers, this is a few years ago, with a complaint. She had seen people coming through her, her checkout line buying fancy birthday cakes and bags of shrimp with their food stamps, and it irritated her. People on welfare who treated themselves to such non-necessities were, as she said in the letter she wrote to Ann Landers, lazy and wasteful. And it bothered her. Well, she had given her city with her, with her letter. And so, a few weeks later, Ann Landers' column was devoted entirely to responses from that same city to that lady's letter of complaint. And let me read you what one woman wrote. I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years, and he came home and told me it was shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner also on that day, and it lasted three days. 
Maybe the grocery clerk who criticized would have a different view of life after walking a mile in my shoes. Another woman wrote, I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know, listen, is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. We don't always know, do we? When we look and we see those specks, we don't always know what's really behind all of it. But back to this Pharisee laying in the dirt that day, all of that died for Paul. And later on, he will explain it this way, the change that had taken place. He had gone from obsessor over people's specks to one who did not think about them at all. And he explained it away this way. He said, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. I died. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's your message, you see. Christ lives in me. Christ loves me. Christ gave himself for me. He died for me. And that is a message that changes everything. And there's no one else that's telling a story like that. The specks in other lives no longer mattered, you see. He, he, he didn't need to lord it over anybody. In fact, in another place, he will write probably his most mature letter. He writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The world of specks didn't matter anymore. I want you to stand with me. And I've puzzled over how to end this service today. Because what we're talking about, what Jesus is challenging us here with, why do you look at the speck in somebody else's eye, is intensely personal. But we all do it. And what's amazing is that we're able to do it looking past the things that are in our own life. We need to let ourselves die, don't we? I've been crucified with Christ. We need to be able to say that. As I think about that other thing that Paul talked about, may it never be that I should boast except in the, Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, I wonder... Does anybody want that anymore? Do you want that? Do you want to be dead to the world, to where it just doesn't matter? It just doesn't matter. And you're so captivated by the thought that look at what he's done with the monstrously wrong things in my life. What happens in yours just doesn't matter. What a freedom that would be. Just shut yourself in with the Lord. I want us all to think about this for just a minute. 
We're not meant to inspect specks. We're meant to look at the cross. We're meant to be captivated by the beauty of our Savior, not by the imperfections, small as they are in somebody else. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.